Welcome to HivriaCast, the podcast where I, Alad Nehrai, speak with some fascinating and incredible creative Jews. Hello, welcome. This is the Hevria podcast, uh, where we talk about Jewish creativity to creative Jews and with creative Jews. And um, today we have... (laughs) (laughs) You're already interrupting me. (laughs) So today we have Mani Shana, who's uh, been a writer for Hevria. He's uh, an author. So many things. Why don't you tell me what you do? Because I am going to not be able to list them all. Uh, hmm, uh, A writer... uh, an author, a lecturer, mm-hmm. um, possibly a soon to be playwright. That's interesting. Oh, yeah? Yes. That is You're interesting. always doing like a million things. A million things, always, all the time. So yes. what, what projects are you working on? So you're working on a play? Um, yes, I'm working on a play for, um, well, I don't want to say now since I can't remember the organization, but we'll <laughs> just say it's, it's under wrap, so I can't discuss it. Right. Um, right. A couple of other books. My first novel. You're working on a couple of other books. I'm working on, on a couple of other books. <laughs> okay. And a novel. <laughs> That's crazy. You blew my so, mind. And, and running all over the place, like lecturing on. Oh, I just got back uh, from Dallas for oh, BYO, yeah? and that was a fun panel. I was discussing the significance of the Jewish influence on comic book superheroes. So that was wow. very fun. That's do. awesome. So, for those who don't know, Mahdi Shana has been an incredible voice for so many different. Uh, segments of society that are unspoken for. For example, the black Orthodox Jewish uh, uh, advocate for in, in terms of all those things. And also geeks. I am aware that you're <laughs> advocate for <laughs> uh, comic books. Like whenever we, you, you, me, and Saul Sudan sit down oh, together, that's true. Uh, yeah. I become very aware of your <laughs> attachment to, My to these things. <laughs> so what were you doing in terms of that? Like... Uh, with a lecture, what was that about exactly? Um, it was it was largely what I like to do, which is trick people into learning. <laughs> um, nice. Uh, so it, it basically touched on how the superhero inherently is a Jewish concept, where a lot of people talk about, you know, oh, a lot of the creators were Jewish, or how a lot of the characters are Jewish, or mm-hmm. sort of stand in for, like, Jewish concepts. But one, American comics specifically are the mythology that is unique to America because other countries have that millennia-long country, you know, culture of uh, folk tales and stories, and America doesn't have that as a relatively new country, but it's populated by people who do come from that sort of uh, uh, background. So they've cr- America is unique, so it's created its own sort of mythology, and that those are comic books. Mm-hmm. But what is unique about American mythology, as opposed to world mythology, world mythology foc- focuses around consolidation of power, really. Like uh, the gods, you know, they fight the titans, and they conquer the world, and they, they rule down on Olympus. Even uh, once mythology shifts from, like, divine creatures to more everyday heroic figures like King Arthur or, uh, or Beowulf or Siegfried, they're still conquering the other kingdoms so they can rule the kingdoms. Meanwhile, superheroes come about because they're trying to protect people. They're there to fix things in the world. Mm. Superheroes are inherently, the superhero is a manifestation of Tikkun Olam. Wow. So they're not conquerors. They're, they're not. 
the protectors. Not the or, Justice League doesn't exist to conquer or rule America. It exists to protect America. And so, so the point of this is that this comes directly from like a Jewish ethos? It's a, it's a Jewish ethos. Wow. Even the major turning points uh, or touchstones of when comics become comics, like when DC Comics first arrives in 1938, or Marvel Comics, when even either as timely or as Marvel Comics, they come at cultural sort of watershed moments, mm -hmm. and those characters are created by Jewish creators. They're not only are superheroes manifestations of Tikkun Olam, they come about because of Tikkun Olam. Superman first shows up as a figure for justice and peace in the 1930s when Hitler's rising to power. Captain America's first appearance, he's punching Hitler. <laughs> like, these are Jews saying this is... And they... Both Superman and Captain America engage in World War II years before America actually enters the war mm -hmm. because it's Siegel and Schuster creating Superman as Kirby and Lee creating uh, Captain America as Jews saying there's something happening here and we should be doing something and this is what we should be doing as figures to sort of lead what the country should be doing. In the 1960s, again, with Lee and Kirby creating the X-Men at a time during civil rights movement where this is a wrong thing that we should be persecuting a group of people just because they're born different. So this is what we should be doing. This is their struggle. This is what this is what's right. So even when they show up mm -hmm. is a function of like a voice or a manifestation of Tikkun Olam. Wow. That's really interesting. Do you think that it was directly informed by Judaism or was I don't think it was directly informed by Judaism, but like Jews in Judaism, regardless of observance style not level because we don't exist in a two-dimensional plane, <laughs> but regardless of observant style, you just can't extract certain core ideas or beliefs. So you even know, in anything yeah. that a Jew does, there's going to be something Jewy in it. That's just... <laughs> well, that's... I mean, I love that because... I mean, I think that's something that... Work. I mean, I think some people inherently understand that, especially when they were talking about like, oh, this Jew is in this movie or, mm -hmm. the, you know, we kind of naturally get excited about that. But I think on the other hand, these days, especially, it seems to me like unless it's coming from a direct Jewish source, then we tend to underplay the values that might have brought a person to those to those places. Like, I mean, I think it's especially fascinating with comic books because they are so populated by Jewish people like yeah. in terms of the writers and all that stuff. Um, and it's really interesting because I think that's, that's the kind of work you do in general as well, stuff that's not necessarily directly Jewish all the time, but is bringing out the values. At well, least. everything is Jewish. <laughs> everything <laughs> is Jewish. Everything's that's, Jewish. That's the point of, you know, Judaism. You can pull something from everything, like Perkei Avot, who's wise, someone who can learn from everyone. So in everything, if you look, you can find... There's what to find. Yeah. So then how do we, you know, it's funny because this is, I mean, we've had two podcasts and every time I always get to this point where I'm like, okay, so how do we, how do we define what Jewish creativity is? How do you, okay, it's interesting because you can go too narrow. I think you can say, okay, Jewish creativity is only when you're like directly mm -hmm. talking about the Torah, whatever, and these sorts of things. But don't you think there's a, it's also easy to go too broad by saying everything is Jewish. So I mean, what does that mean in terms of Jewish creativity? How do we, is there a way to define Jewish creativity? Should we even let go of that idea? I mean, what, there's so many questions. <laughs> I, I feel that. that's very similar to the question of what's Jewish food. Mm. Jewish food is really just diaspora food. When you take out the pork, have half the flavor and twice the salt. <laughs> <laughs> like, people. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds wonderful. <laughs> 
Like people think pickled herring, very Jewish food. It's also one of like the traditional Polish Christmas Eve dishes. Like right. what makes food Jewish? It's what we do to it or how we use it or what the intent is in cooking it. So you're um, saying it's not so much the form? It's not so much the form as the the intention. Okay. Because you could have, like I'm not going to say a Christmas song is Jewish just because, say, Bob Dylan, you know, wrote it and played it. Right. But that doesn't mean that other songs don't have like a Jewish undercurrent or are some form of Jewish creativity. Like there's no Jewish style of music. Just because it's in a minor key doesn't make it Jewish. Just because it's, I don't know, uh, a dubstep song doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that it's not Jewish either. Right. Do you think a non-Jew can do Jewish creativity? Or do you mean that it comes from like an asham of a Jew or the va- Can a non-Jew, what is, can you elaborate on that? Like, let's say the other way around, like a, a non-Jewish person did, for some reason did, like, like a Hanukkah song or something uh-huh. like that. Like, um, or they used Jewish values that they learned, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, I guess I'm just trying to, na- I mean, it's more than, more than the question. I'm trying to narrow down exactly what is it? What is like... What is the thing that is is the common thread as opposed to what's different among the types of Jewish creativity? I don't know. I, I guess it just comes down to, like, just like Jews, what what makes us Jews, not just like good people. Like, it comes hmm. down, I guess, to the origin and the intent. So what should our intent be? The as intent creators. should be the reason why we're here. We're supposed to be like, or legoyim, you know, light to, like, the world, which is something that infuriates me when, you know, <laughs> particularly super right wing or super conservative, super orthodox Jews like, oh, the world is terrible and they're doing this, doing that. Well, if the world's dark and we're supposed to be the light, <laughs> then why do you think the world is dark? It means that we're not doing our job on our end. So you don't really get to complain that this room is dark if you're the light bulb in the room. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I guess that actually touches on another thing, which is that it seems to me like that ironically, the tribe of, of Jews can become very tribal in a, a not healthy way mm-hmm. where we're, we're mainly trying to influence ourselves, you know? Um, and it's interesting cause this is actually something I started getting, struggling with myself. The more that I identified as a Jewish creative Mm-hmm. The more I realized that I'm talking only to Jews, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing, but it is something I see as a, as like when you look at it more on yeah. a bigger level, the way you're describing, it's like, when are we like just kind of, what is it, turning our gear, I forgot what the expression is, well, but like. Uh, preaching to the choir. Yeah, or, I mean, yeah, uh, when we, echo yeah. Echo chamber kind of. Essentially, yeah, like when, when, like. How are we, how are we uplifting the world? Like, I guess is my, my question. Cause, and I think that to me, at least to me, like when we're talking about intention, that's something that speaks to me a lot as a Jewish creative is like, no matter what I'm doing, I guess I always want to feel like I'm uplifting mm-hmm. something. I, I think I got that a lot from Chabad, like that feeling of like, there must be some light that we're extracting. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes I guess I get confused by that. Like. You know, how much am I really doing that as much as opposed to just kind of, yeah, contributing to that echo chamber? I think that's a multi-layered question because 
Are you telling me you can't just give me like one line that'll answer all my questions? No, well, I could. It'd be a lie, but I could. <laughs> a lot of people do that, actually. <laughs> so we could just end the podcast right now. Right there. <laughs> it's um, it's a multi. We have a multi-tiered mission, and so it requires different levels of approach. And so part of the level of approach is to you know, be an outward light. Part of that mission is also to be an inward light. Part of mm-hmm. that mission is to speak to the echo chamber so they know they're not crazy. Part of it is to speak to the people who are on your side of the line but on that direction so they come to a, you know, a, a main sort of uh, point. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like, again, look at our Chagim. Hanukkah is about lighting out the inside. Then you have Sukkot over here where it's about, you know, pretty much speaking to mm-hmm. the inside and collecting all the different parts on this side of the line. And then you have like, you know, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, and it's about yelling <laughs> you know, at those people on this side of the line. And then you have Purim, where it's about celebrating with these people on the line. And out there is the enemy, as opposed to like, we'll mm-hmm. be bringing light, like Hanukkah. So it's, it's all those things. And it's really, people I think get lost when they think, okay, this is the one thing that has to be done and that will fix all the problems, all the things. Like right. you even see that socially. Uh, in in social justice spaces where, well, we should be rioting. No, we should be like petitioning the government. No, we should be writing think pieces. Mm. Well, the answer to all of those is yes. And no, you, there is no one single approach that's ever going to work. It's You're fighting different things. You're fighting on the ground things. You're fighting structural things. You're fighting governmental things. So if you're using one method of attack... Right. It's not going to fix anything. It's like you're you're fighting a war. You don't go to a war with just like the navy or just the army or just the air force or just <laughs> right. the marines. Right. And so, I love that. That is great. I mean, just because I think it's true. We're just so attracted to one like a single simplicity. answer. Yeah, simplicity. <laughs> simplicity. Duality, like being like this is the right way of doing things. That's the wrong way of doing yes. things. Like so, I'm like, okay, we're either and like I'm speaking to you know, the whole world. And so, you know, enough with this, like just talking to ourselves, but then that doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk to ourselves as well. And I think that's what Judaism like gives that answer. So perfectly, as you beautifully said, but um, I think it's definitely gotten muddled like in our post-denominational split world where right. we've done that to ourselves. We are either doing this way and that's the right way to be a Jew. You're being that way. And that's the right way to be a Jew. Maybe, that's only half the right way to pitch you. Right. That's so, yeah. I mean. Yeah. I'm a better Jew because I do one through five. I'm a better Jew because I do six through ten. Maybe you're just both equally bad Jews because you're only doing yeah. half of the thing. That's so interesting. I mean, I think that <coughs> that's actually something I'm personally uh, dealing with as well because I, I think, I mean, I think we, we probably are all, if we're struggling with this idea of what is creativity yeah. and Jewish creativity, are probably always trying to balance and, and definitely as Jews alone. But I think, you know, it's, it's just interesting because now we're in this world that seems so much more political than, at least to me, than it was like a year ago. It's a lot more binary. That's what it is. There, there's, it is more binary. There's a diminishing center on any issue that exists. If you're saying thing A, then, oh, that automatically means you're against the B, thing B or you're also thing C. No, I could, mm. I just said A. That's all I said. You're extrapolating and adding on things that are now inherent to the other things. Well, no, it's not, it's not, that's how most dialogue now is progressing. There's no, we can talk about A and B at the same time or being 
proceed. It's not me being anti-A. Like, there's... Yeah. I mean, um, it's interesting because I, I think that, you know, with some of your, like, writing, sometimes I didn't connect to so much because it seemed to me to be very political, you know, <laughs> and, I mean, it was very political. And, like, and it is. No, I'm, 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 I'm not, saying that. In I'm a, not denying anything. Right, <laughs> exactly. No, and I think that's what's interesting is that now looking back on it, especially as someone who's like, okay, I need to be, you know, and again, what is political, that's mm-hmm. another discussion, but, you know, looking back on that, I'm, I'm almost like embarrassed a little because, you know, it's crazy because obviously it's so important, all the things you were writing. And so just to, for anyone that's listening and doesn't um, know, Manish also writes a lot of stuff um, in, in the political world. You write, for, you write it for tablet, tablet. Um, and very often it's advocacy for, for minorities and, and that sort of thing. And, um, and so while I was sympathetic to the causes, I wasn't always as into the discussion, mm-hmm. um, because it always felt to me, it, it felt to me like, oh, I'm going to fall into this trap of, of being too outwardly focused, I guess. Um, which is interesting because that touches on what you're saying. Well, which we is, also feel guilty if we're, if, mm-hmm. you know, oh, the new Power Rangers movie is coming out and I really want to tweet about that, but then Trump is president. But, right. you know, so, but if you do tweet about, oh, this, the world is on fire, how can you tweet about, like, Power Rangers? Like, but I enjoy Power Rangers, too. Like, <laughs> you can, we can do multiple things at a time. We can care about multiple things at a time. We can. Right. Well, I think that's what's interesting is that now it almost, and it's what you're describing, is it's more binary that now it almost feels like you can't. In, a, in the sense of you can, obviously, but people start to apply labels to mm-hmm. you the moment you start to kind of take a stance. One thing, like, um... Or, or which I, it's always I've realized the bane, the there's a bigger, you know, enemy to like you know focus on. Oh and, right, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I haven't I haven't written for Chaplet as much post election because I'm also trying to figure out like what to write about or how to write about things because there's still the same problems that I was writing about before he was elected still exist. Mm-hmm. But there is sort of this, well, now Trump is president, we need to focus on that. And I realize that's always been sort of the problem. Like Bacon's Rebellion, it's like uh, uh, you have like white indentured servants and African slaves. And like, oh, no, let's not talk about the racism because the main problem is like, you know, the wealthy class. Well, yeah, but then that's still a problem there. Or, uh, again, in, in uh, uh, American Revolution, you know, well, we have the British. They're the bigger problem. We'll worry about these slaves later. Okay, uh-huh. or you know, World War Two. Mm-hmm. You know, the Nazis are killing Jews. We worry about like you can't. We're not going to let you join the Air Force. We'll talk about that later. Or, right. or Vietnam or the war on drugs or war on terrorism. Or, and now here we are again at Trump. It's like there is. I realize there's always going to be that bigger fish to fry, that joint enemy that we need to confront. And I'm beginning to suspect there always will be until like mm-hmm. these allies over here that ally themselves or at least try to shush out the dissident voices saying, hey, it's great that we're all this in our room, but we have problems in this room that we need to figure out first before we go out there. <laughs> and I feel like until that's like figured out, there's always going to be a bigger thing that rises because it rises out of the smaller things that mm. the people fighting it never actually resolve. Wow. That's that's fascinating. It's crazy. It's crazy. I find, I've, I mean, that is a really fascinating discussion, especially now because we have, um, you know, we have like this. For anyone who's like, 
against Trump and let's say Zionists yeah. or uh, is it's kind of like a very awkward spot right now because you know we're like okay should we be fighting like <laughs> you know these people that we fought like crazy like at least me like I you know a year ago I did an ad in the New York Times to yeah. fight their way that they covered Israel and now I'm like like in very like not that and again I was never like anti New York Times I just wanted them to, to mm-hmm. evolve and change but like now the we're presented with like this crazy enemy and at least in my mind and and so it feels very confusing in terms okay. of we're in a blue state we, you can say that what's we're, that we're in a blue state you can say that we're in a blue, <laughs> <laughs> not on this podcast I don't know man <laughs> if they're listening yeah. to Hadria. <laughs> You would be surprised. We'll find out after this one comes yeah, out. We'll find out after this one. <laughs> I should have put like a what's it called? Like a Did you warning. Let me know I'm black. <laughs> <laughs> that is, yeah. That's we should put that warning. We're gonna put a warning. Black liberal. Just a, just about to speak. My face. I see. No, I wouldn't say I'm a liberal. <laughs> you wouldn't. All right, here we go. I, I wouldn't good. say that. Mm-hmm. I get that a lot when I post things like, oh, you know, you liberal snowflake or whatever, or especially from Jews, and mm-hmm. I. Find that to be completely counterproductive because as Jews, we necessarily cannot right. restrict ourselves to, well, I'm a conservative, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, right. I'm a liberal. We, right. Because that's, sooner or later, we're going to rub against something that runs counter to our observance, our Judaism, our beliefs, or whatever. So no, I'm not a liberal. There are things that I agree with because I find they most closely align with how I believe or how... I hold by halakha, that doesn't mean that I am liberal just because I believe in other things. doesn't mean I'm a conservative just because I vote this way. People assume that I'm a Democrat. Right. And I think that's, it's <laughs> funny, yeah, because when I did that ad thing, like everyone's like, you you know, either if they were against me, like you damn conservative mm-hmm. or you wonderful conservative. Or, <laughs> and now they're like, now they're like, you, you stupid liberal, like. <laughs> Go find a safe space. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, stop whining. <laughs> they didn't say that when I was whining about the New York Times, you know. Um, I think then I was much, I was whining more in a sense, you know, but like. You were, you were. <laughs> <thanks. laughs> uh <laughs> But I mean, I think that's really interesting because this goes back to the whole discussion we had at the beginning about what Jewish creativity is. It's all mm-hmm. it's all connected in the sense that we're saying like, you know, it's it's a really uh, kind of like I don't know, almost anti-Jewish. Thing. I don't know if it's, it's a little strong sentence, but I think to say that um, you know you have to be this way. Uh, to be Jewish, mm-hmm. like you have to be conservative to be Jewish, you have to be liberal to be Jewish, and it's also really. baffling the things that that are said in the name of politics, completely w- without any recognition of the cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want healthcare for everyone? Socialism. So it, you mean? Do you realize we have like a welfare system for an entire tribe <laughs> in Judaism, like <laughs> that, that whole take care of the the orphan and, and the widow and and, and all that? It, Right. We we belong to a socialist religion. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, oh no, borders. Borders important. You know, they we have our borders. We have their borders. Mm-hmm. That's that's Saddam. Mm-hmm. What's mine is mine. What's yours and yours. It's literally the definition of Saddam and Porky. I vote. Like, what do you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think you know what I love about that is that what you're doing is is talking specifics. You know, you're saying yeah. like. This is what it like. Here is like a like an actual line, not like a <laughs> like 
you know, saying like, Jew, you know, a lot of times you'll also see the other argument, which is like, Judaism mm. is, is, is inherently mm. caring about others, but that's a very vague statement. Yeah. It's a very broad statement. And, and you could make the argument that in many ways it, it doesn't, or like it, I mean, if you, again, if we're being specific, it's true. and I think, because the whole point is that the moment that you start to apply these labels, that's when things get confused, I yeah. think, as opposed to textual things and, and down to earth things. Yeah. Specific things. Um, and I think that's interesting because I think that puts us, us as Jewish <laughs> creatives uh, and 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 Jews out in the public sphere. I guess would be even like more accurate way of putting it uh, in a situation where we're constantly balancing multiple uh, agendas. You know, yeah, and more so maybe than than other groups where it maybe is more. I don't know. I, I, I don't want to speak for other groups, but basically, like where you're always going to be. In a place like if if you're publicly taking a stand on something, you're always going to be, in theory, in opposition to the same people that you're allying yourself with. Hopefully, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's hopefully how we should be thinking. Like, you know, I mean, I, I find that. And uh, yeah, too often we align ourselves with people who topically seem to be agreeing with us at the moment. Um, like I found, like I. I need to stop saying things because they, <laughs> I'm like like Cassandra in Greek mythology. Like no one listens, and the terrible thing happens. So when Proposition Eight was a thing in California, and uh-huh. like uh, that was when banning uh, gay marriage, mm-hmm. and all the Orthodox Jews like flocked out to vote for Proposition Eight. I was like, guys, let's just just leave that alone. Like it doesn't really affect mm-hmm. you know Orthodox Jews. It's not. Right. You know, you could be two heterosexual people, and if you're not getting married with the ketub and everything, you're you're still not like legally married. Like this <laughs> That's is interesting. this makes no makes no difference to us. Mm-hmm. And what you are doing is giving like the government precedent as to what people are or can or can't do in their citizenship. Like there's no reason why the Christian right, which is fueling the Proposition Eight, isn't going to turn around on you. And, like, and not a few months later, there is an anti-circumcision bill. Mm-hmm. On, like the ballot, or didn't pass, but it's like this is exactly what I'm talking were about. Were those the same people that that pushed that? The same people, the same kind of. Really? Even even if it was wasn't the same people, you've now given right. the government, hey, you know what? We can tell people do what to do with their bodies. Let's like, that's why I vote against abortion. It doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean I'm a liberal that believes, hey, abortion is great for fun. <laughs> Woo! Like, no, that's that's opening the door to say, hey, government, tell people what to do with their bodies. You now have the right for that. You know what, Jews? We don't like you doing that. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. So I guess um, it's funny to me about this whole discussion is that to me it always I and I experience this a lot. Like for example, in the in like Hevria book in the mm-hmm. Facebook group, like we kind of have this semi unofficial like rule that we don't talk about politics much. Like I never share my political mm-hmm. articles, which I'm publishing constantly, you know, <laughs> these days. Uh which is very different than it used to be. It, it wasn't a big deal before. But like now I'm publishing all these things and I never share them in that group. And mm-hmm. it's very interesting because it's like this whole group of creative people and and stuff. And um I guess so what what am I connecting that to? This I guess my question is like, how do we, how do we manage those, those realities? I think like, because on the one hand, I think it's healthy. It's, 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 it's helped build up that community to a certain Mm -hmm. extent that we we're not focused on these things are so divisive, um, among Jews that it's like, sometimes is shocking, like how, how divisive it is. Um, 
<laughs> so that's why I'm worried about this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we're, we're in it now. Yeah, so. It's too late. Let's go. <laughs> Wrong and strong, just like Bandcamp. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Anyway, so, <laughs> um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, so it's like to me is a you know you know it's one thing like when like then you know as for example I guess I'm trying to find the right words for mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Um, I I personally wrote something recently that was just like a story about. Uh, a guy with like a crow in his chest and it was like, oh, it's all right, like yeah, I read magic. that. It was good. Thank you. So like, what was funny, someone commented on that, like, oh, you should write more stuff like this and, and not I so much that. with the Trump stuff. Yeah, yeah. And what was funny about that, he, uh, about that piece was that was 100% inspired by my experience writing about Trump because huh. the whole thing was like this feeling of like, I have something that feels ugly that I need to talk about. I need to say like where it's divide, it's inherently divisive to talk mm-hmm. about it. It's inherently upsetting to people and it seems very surface level. And then, and then at the end of the story, the, the crow comes out and it's really a songbird mm-hmm. and all these things. And, and it was kind of me coming to a place of resolution that, uh, that really it was, it was like a, my chemical romance music video. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they stole my idea retroactively. Um, <laughs> and I guess, I mean, and so on one hand, like that was kind of the resolution I came to internally, mm-hmm. but I, I think that a lot of people struggle with this. Like, you know, they get exhausted by it. They don't want to talk about it anymore. Like, politics and, and these sorts of things, especially if they're drawn more to writing these like human pieces. But mm-hmm. I guess one of the things I realized there was how, impossible they are to separate when someone was like right about this but not about trump i was like this is about trump you know mm-hmm. in its own way um and also when i write about trump it's not about trump you know in a sense but um so that's i understand on a theoretical level i guess but on a practical level it seems to be very difficult to handle like you know how do we manage that when we're trying to build up communities that go beyond yeah these discussions or can we i don't even know if we can i'm starting to wonder it's I had a similar experience to yours. Um, re, uh, myself and a bunch of friends of mine recently created uh, a Jews of Color group where we're like, we were the admins and we were the only ones in the group. Because mm. like every time we have a group on Facebook, everyone wants to come in, which I don't understand. If you have 98% of the sandbox, why you need to come to the 2% that isn't yours, but whatever. <laughs> So we created, and the first rule was like, like no politics. We're not going to talk about politics. Uh, right? yeah. And it was slightly before the election. Like, <laughs> we were young and naive. <laughs> right. And so we decided that we weren't going to talk about it. But, you know, there's one of the unique conversations that can be had in that group that aren't going to be had in any other group. It's, it's not a thing that you can sort of, you know, not talk about. Mm-hmm. And so sort of the compromise that was uh, arrived at was that we sort of created the same group but this is like specifically the politics group. So if you mm-hmm. want to talk it and you post it on this group, mm-hmm. you know, we can have our politics-free community here. Mm-hmm. And it might be exact same people in the other group, but mm-hmm. that's where we can like juke it out and like fight and bash. But over here, we can just talk about, you know, perm recipes or something, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I guess that sort of compartments, compartmentalization. Is a necess- it's like a house, I guess. Everyone is a full house, but you don't want to go to the bathroom in the same place you eat. So you have a kitchen, and you have a bathroom. And then you have a bedroom, you have a basement. Which one's politics? Room, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So like have the same house, but then like go to a different room, I guess. That's interesting. If that makes any sense. I mean, that's fascinating because that's almost like it's almost like a purposeful echo chamber in a sense. What you're describing, like an, an intentional one, um, and not in a bad way necessarily. I'm saying like, you know, one of the things that I've noticed from working on the internet is that we're increasingly creating micro communities, like, mm-hmm. and in, in in the sense that you can belong to one and, and another and. So, like, on Reddit, you can be a huge part of a community of, like, people who like to Photoshop arms onto birds, like mm-hmm. human arms onto birds. That's very specific. <laughs> it's very specific. You sounds like idea? you have experience with I this, do. With I am subreddit. fascinated by this group <laughs> because it's huge. That's what's crazy about it. It's, it's insane to me. So imagine there's, like, a bunch – there's, like, pro-Trump and anti-Trump people in the – In this one group <laughs> while Photoshopping. Exactly. exactly. That's yeah. where they find peace, you know. But then, like, in another part of Reddit – They might like, hate each other. Yeah. Yeah. And they might be at war with each other, yeah. and um, and it's like I might I find that so interesting, like you know where, I mean, there's no question in my mind. I guess, uh, but how is that different from friends or family, really? Yeah, mm-hmm. you you both love like Lord of the Rings, but you're on opposite sides of like the Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Going back to the the geek <laughs> stuff, um, right? No, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really interesting. And everything's a microcosm of everything else. Like, mm-hmm. It's the same. I guess. Yeah. I mean, on a personal level, that means we have to build up a certain tolerance for, like, an acceptance of, of compartmentalization. You yeah. know, like an acceptance of, in this place, I'm your friend. In this place, I might be, one hundred percent against you. I mean, we do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> By we, I mean, you, I mean, you and me, oh, specifically. Really? <laughs> what? No. How dare you? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Like, what? It's 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 so. It's so, uh, and and I think that's like a place that. Because I think that's where, I, that's why I, I think now identity is becoming very confusing, right? Because we're like, I think in the past it was easier maybe. I, I, I feel like where you don't have, <laughs> there weren't as many communities mm-hmm. focused on Photoshopping arms on the well, birds. They, that's <laughs> so a true fact. So you didn't have <laughs> these, you know, these uh, like, you know, you, you kind of maybe could assume like that the people around you share a lot of the same values. Did it make know. it easier or more difficult? Because then you, more difficult, either, yeah. you couldn't. Connect to someone who might also have liked to Photoshop arms onto birds, right? But there right. was not that community. No, so for you, sure. I, no, one hundred percent. I totally agree. I think it's brought out. Like, I mean, that's the kind of idea behind Hivria. Like, we're yeah. there are people that are creative Jews that feel felt very alone, or 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 were not necessarily that that dramatic, but they also they just felt like there weren't other people like them, and or that were facilitating their talents mm-hmm. and these sorts of things. And that was kind of the idea behind creating that. And I think like. A lot of the stuff that I've personally done is kind of like that. And I think that a lot of the stuff that happens on the internet happens because of that. It's like internal communities that come from an internal place as opposed to an external place, like mm-hmm. geography or something. Um, but I think, so I think it's incredible opportunity for sure. Because finally, those people that like to Photoshop <laughs> arms onto birds have a place, you yeah. know. But I think that creates challenges because you because we're multifaceted Internally, internally, we're much more multifaceted than we are externally. I mm-hmm. think, like, and um, like you can only live in one place uh, physically. But 
can have many different ideas that could conflict or that could be paradoxical and all these things. I mean, that's like, that's what we're talking about with being a Jew. Like, that's inherent to being a Jew, I think. And, and so I think it's so hard if you have a set identity of who you are and you assume that everyone in this group that's like, we tend to assume all creative people are liberal, mm-hmm. right, for example. Um, but in the Jewish world, I found that to be like not as, I mean, in the Orthodox Jewish world at least, mm-hmm. that's not 100% true. It's definitely more liberal. But my point being that sometimes we expect that these new communities that we find are going to completely align with us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's confusing now for us. I don't know. Mm, yeah, yeah. I could definitely see that. And I think we're ah, we're so freaking confused right now. I'm confused. I don't know. <laughs> I don't you, you don't seem confused to me, though. Uh, there, there are so many balls juggling in the air. <laughs> for you personally, you're saying? Just, just in general, I think in, in the world, in life, in Judaism, where, I don't know, that... I feel like maybe there needs to be an ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. Like, like look at just at Jewish history, right? Where, you know, you have Avraham, he has, you know, Yitzchak and Esau, and they need to split for this to work. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Yitzchak has, um, oh, sorry, Yitzchak and Yishmael. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> then Yitzchak has Yaakov and Esau. What's and they sad is that I didn't correct you. That's what's <laughs> sad about that. <laughs> and they need to split for this Jewish, you know, people thing to work. Mm-hmm. Think of Yaakov and his sons, they need to come together mm-hmm. for it to work. And then we need to come together in Egypt. But then when we're in the desert, we need to split and be separately. We can't intermarry with other tribes for the Jewish thing to work. Mm-hmm. And after that, we can for the Jewish thing to work. But then we need to split again when we're pick, picking out like little, little land plots. But then all the, throughout all that time, we still need to split because you need Kohenim here and Levim here and Israel here. Then you have like, you know, judges and you have kings. And so there's always this sort of coming together but needing to split apart but needing to come together but needing to split apart. That's, I think, always ever going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe we fall into that trap and we think we're in one state statically forever and that's where we're supposed to stay. Mm-hmm. And then we get thrown off when it's like, no, it's time for us to do this now. Or Yeah, that's so true. I think it's fascinating. I mean, I think, I think that's something that a lot of people are struggling with now, whether they're, whatever they identify as, because we're in this world that's so, like, seems to be moving so fast in terms of how it's changing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean... And it talk- is. What's that? And is. Yeah, it is. We're in a period of transition. And I think, at least, and I think a lot of people that grew up as, like, millennials in a world that seemed very stable, like, very... Like, I remember thinking, like, when I grew up, um, I remember having this thought at one point, like, Wow, we're like in it was like I think in middle school or high school, I was like, Wow, we're in like the most prosperous, stable, like I don't think I had all these words. <laughs> but that's how it felt, you know. I think I grew up in the middle, you know, middle upper middle class like mm-hmm. world and, and all these things. I'm aware I was in a bubble, but like <laughs> <laughs> but you know I think that a lot of people, you know, felt like that. I think even when, you know, it's it, it just like and then around like nine eleven, like and then mm-hmm. the economic crash and like all these things, like all of a sudden people are like, wait a second, this world is not like a stable thing as much as we, at least I don't know. That was what I very much went through, and I feel like a lot of people are feeling challenged by now in general, like just accepting that reality that like the world is not is inherently unstable. You know, I th- I think you tapped into maybe why I'm not as you know 
throne. Like throne. That. When you said millennials just now, because <laughs> I remember a time where I was a millennial. I was Gen Y. And then I remember a time I wasn't Gen Y. I was a channel of Gen X. <laughs> so depending on who you're going to go by, I'm either literally the last year of Generation X. Mm-hmm. I'm Generation Y, which apparently no longer exists because mm-hmm. somehow we've been subsumed into millennials. So. Right. That's interesting. So what, what is that? <laughs> right. Even yeah. though I don't really fit into the now static Generation X or millennials because I have more technological knowledge and background and mm-hmm. cultural experiences that I share with a lot of Generation X. I don't share a lot of cultural experiences with Generation Y. I don't have that same technological prowess. I don't. You don't. Like, I remember writing on a typewriter really? for school papers. I remember when the electric typewriter came out with, like, auto-delete. Are you, like, 60 years old? (laughs) 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 I I remember, like, dot matrix printers where everything was purple. I remember that, yeah, yeah. Tear off the sides of the paper. (laughs) I remember encyclopedias were a thing that came out. Right. That's so crazy. I remember researching from an encyclopedia and putting it in in the bibliography. Right. That's fascinating. I mean, I I think, because that's interesting, because I'm definitely, like, a few years before that, so... The crazy thing is that you're right. Like, there's such a huge gap in experience between just us. Like, let alone people that have ten years between them. Like, you know, I remember getting. I'm sure you remember also like getting the AOL discs and being like, "What's you know (laughs) what what is this thing?" And all of a sudden, it's like you know, change your life. But wherever that happened, it changed your life either more or less. You know. Uh, relative to other people. I remember yeah. rotary phones. I remember <laughs> like when you called somebody so you're going to be there, then you had to be there because you couldn't call them every five or ten minutes saying you're somewhere new <laughs> or, you know, or meet them here or do this or do that. Like, yeah. Pay phones. Tokens. <laughs> Tokens. And I'm not talking about the Pentagon. I'm talking about a little mirror in the middle. I have no idea what you're talking about right now. <laughs> Tokens? <laughs> like you're talking about, what are you, what are you referring to? For the to? bus and train. Oh, like in to- New York? Yeah, in New York. Oh, okay. Because I came late to New York. Oh, so. that's right. You came. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you're like, what's his name? Bernie Sanders. He was like, he still yeah, thought yeah. they had yeah, tokens. Yeah, just like me. I'm just you're like just like Bernie Sanders. Sanders. You're just like Bernie Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> See, I applied identity yeah, yeah. too broadly there. Um, I remember $1 or one dollar or one one twenty five bus fare. <laughs> Paper bus passes. You like you're like verging on like the old man like looking back on things. Used to walk two miles in the snow back and forth <laughs> barefoot just to buy our Air Jordans. <laughs> just to buy our... I like that. What's this capping outside of stores? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's so. That's I think. And do you think that also like being? I mean, I'm sure this is you're going to say yes, but I'm curious how. I guess do you feel like the gap in experience might also be in terms of like being a minority and. And that sort of thing, like, um, yes and no. I mean, it's like everyone got tokens, like, like <laughs> <laughs> Bernie Sanders, yeah, um, fair enough. But it, I think I just broke the microphone. <laughs> I'm sorry for anyone listening if I broke your ears. Um, like it would differ between different generations of minorities, but the same generational sort of right. like those touchstones are still there. Like, remember when the trains were all red. Mm-hmm. When you can see them through the graffiti. <laughs> like, <laughs> remember when the subway wasn't a place you wanted to go, um, or even parts of the city, mm-hmm. or you know shows that came on the theme songs, like you know when Gummy Bears was a cartoon on like regular access. To, when there were cartoons on regular access channels, 
when some of the cooler cartoons were just on Nickelodeon or on cable. Um, so you, so you're saying like that there's also, obviously there's a lot of like shared experiences yeah. as well that we're talking. Oh, we keep, I mean, like, it's so funny cause we keep circling back to this like <laughs> idea that there's multiple, we can't just pin yeah, down. There is exactly. I can't just be like, Hey, you know, you're black, so you must have only experienced completely <laughs> unique, different things for me, right? <laughs> is that, that's not the it's, case. It's not, yeah, no, not Well, fascinating. It's, a, it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> I really hope no one's listening at and this point. And here part. we thought we were in a post-racial <laughs> world. <laughs> Thanks, Obama. <laughs> <laughs> when will we learn? Oh, um, man. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I love that. There's that I mean, that was, that was another thing uh, that I guess didn't throw me with Trump. Uh-huh. With his his campaign, with him winning the election, oh, this isn't the America that I live in, really. Right, this is something that I think that you because really... at the moment that of his election, we had the government again throwing Native Americans again off their land again for mm-hmm. like profit mm-hmm. again. We had an entire ethnic group, whether you subscribe to it or not, that were saying, "Hey, police, could you probably stop killing us because our <laughs> lives matter too?" You had there's still women getting paid 70% of like, so what America did you think you lived in? Did you think that all these different minorities of, of sexual, gender, racial, ethnic orientation were just making things up as they went along? (laughs) The, the thing about Trump was that he made like, essentially he made white people feel as unsafe in this country as brown people do every day. And so that was the whole outrage. We're like, yeah, this is, the country. <laughs> it's always been the country. I like how you're like laughing and I'm just like sitting here <laughs> depressed. It's like what's, what's practically has changed on like the ground level. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people, when, when Hillary was in the running, you need to vote for Hillary because, you know, she's going to do terrible things to the country if you have Trump or, if you, you know, foreign policy is going to go out the window. You know, that might be true. But how is foreign policy going to affect me walking down the street in New York? In a neighborhood that I shouldn't be in. Great. We have beautiful diplomatic relations. How is that affecting me? How How is that affecting I have a weird name on a resume so I can't get a job? How is that affecting um, I'm, I'm calling for an apartment mm-hmm. and I don't get it because I sound a little bit too ethnic or I trick them, and fool them. But I show up and all of a sudden it's a vacancy. This just happened to my mother last week. Really? She she called on the phone for an apartment. It's like, yeah, yeah, come over, come over, come over. She comes over uh, to the correct address. And you know, it's like, no, it's, it's this address over here. So really, it's this address over here. So she comes over. It's a terrible apartment. Uh, and she's like, all right. <laughs> oh, wow, really? Wow. So that wouldn't have changed if Hillary was president. Mm-hmm. It definitely wouldn't have changed since the Clintons were a large part of, a large part behind some of the uh, policies that have been in place that have done com- terrible infrastructural damage to like the African American community alone. Yeah. So I, I don't. <laughs> I wish we could put your face into audio that you just made. That was great. Um, <coughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that, that I guess that was kind of what I was thinking and touching on when, when I mentioned the stuff about like growing up black, because I think that that's, that's something that for me, like as much as I may feel like 
a little bit of an outsider because I'm Sparty or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I don't identify with as much. And, and for me, it was definitely a huge shock. Like, you, you know, what you said, like jokingly, like, oh, this is the America I grew up in. Like, that's <laughs> exactly what I felt. You know, I was in shock. Like, and I mean, I think, you know, t- to me, I think, I personally think there's truth to both. But I think what's, it is, to me, it's fascinating to hear that because I think it just touches on how we can have, on the one hand, yes, we have shared experiences. But on the other hand, we can also have like this completely different world experience. I have no, as much as I may sympathize <laughs> and try to empathize and try to understand, at the end of the day, I'm never going to completely understand, you know? You can. I can? You did. You wrote an article. Oh, I was. That had mean? a comment that completely proved the point you were making. You were, it you was mean? an article about how in school people would like make like terrorist jokes about you. Right, no, the for 9/11 sure. Then 9-11 happened. Right. And you're like, oh, I'm not this. And then someone in the comments said, but I still think you're white a lot. I'm like, <laughs> you probably, you right. did not get the point of the article at all. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, that's 100% <laughs> like, true. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think that's what's interesting because I think that, that that's 100% true. I think that, but I think that in a sense, we all have that narrative of like, my life is everything and people mm-hmm. don't understand my life and like these sorts of things. I think that like, you know, we... We tend to I, I, I just know that like for me as much as like I do identify with a lot of the things you're saying. On the mm-hmm. other hand, I I don't identify with a lot of other things that you describe because you have a unique experience. Mm-hmm. Unique you know. I think that each minority also has unique you know, I'm sure you weren't called a terrorist, <laughs> but maybe you were called other things. Oh, I've and, been called worse things, friend. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you know, we have our, we all have our own things, but I think the the issue is being able to truly expand our personal uh, minds to be able to truly, because honestly, when you talk about how like, oh, it's not that different mm-hmm. for me. On the one hand, like um, as much as I empathize, it's also very hard for me to to go beyond being like, but like it really is like crazy, right? Like, like <laughs> yeah, we've been saying that for ninety eight years. Right. So no, but that's. <laughs> I mean, that's, I, I, yeah, I mean, like, that's right. Like, I, I get what you're saying, but it's also like, but wait a second, you know, so I think we're, we're balancing all these crazy things in our minds and there, and, and I think that's the beauty of like what we started off talking about that Mm. being Jewish means being able to be like, this is true and this is true. And and they're both true in a sense, like being able to see the value in, in each other's perspectives and, and. I don't know, it's just... Uh, I think we also need to see the bias in our own perspectives, too. Right. Uh-huh. And I feel that that's especially important in, I guess, our allyship spaces or even our our diverse friendship spaces, that we, we carry this thing. We carry this, okay, when is my female friend going to be a woman and get all irrational or, you know, when is my Jewish friend going to be the Jew? Oh, yeah, there we go. There it is. See, like, he, you know... He, Shit me out of some money. When's my black friend going to be black? Like, ah, we're, mm-hmm. we're walking around pretending that we're not waiting for this invisible bias shoe to drop. Right. It's like, oh, there it is. There was, I, was, I was waiting for you to like stab me in the back. And there it is. So, wow. So until we also address that, we're just then overcompensating and just approaching everything with the soft racism, anti-Semitism, misogyny of, like, lowered expectations. Yeah, I mean, that's really, that's great. I mean, that's, uh, 
you know, it's funny because now I'm like writing all these, um, these Trump pieces and, um, I know that there's this part of my mind that's like, okay, you know, for basically a year I felt like, oh man, I'm like losing all these readers and no one. And, um, so it's funny because now I'm like, oh man, like I, the moment I start, if I do another New York Times ad or whatever <laughs> it is, uh, I'm going to all these people that may be identifying with what I'm writing. Like I was saying like that basically I spent a year kind of trying to rebuild an audience mm-hmm. that, that understood what I was, uh, I was getting at that was able to kind of straddle these positions. But at the same time, I'm aware that like, oh, if I speak out about this, those same people might hate me just the way these people hate me and blah, 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 blah. And, um, and yeah, I mean, that's ex- like what you're describing is exactly how I feel sometimes and, and, and why I think it's so confusing, uh, you know, to be able, and I think that's why it's such an internal process of being able to be okay with that kind mm-hmm. of like being able to accept that that's how it, it, maybe that's that we just need to live our lives in the truest way possible as creators, as Jews. As definitely. Living. Definitely. Cause there's always going to be a, right. Well, I like to approach things by thinking I'm just going to do what I'm going to do because the people who are going to be on board aren't going to need convincing once it's out there. I'm not going to need to, like, you know, I'm not going to lose them. Mm -hmm. And the people that I am going to lose weren't ever really there in the first place, and nothing that I say is going to bring them back. Like, I just read a a cathartic but simultaneously disturbing piece (laughs) last week about how facts don't change people's minds. Yeah. Yeah. Where once they've formed whatever they think the truth of the bias is, they can be shown proof that it's not true... And they'll see, yeah, but it is kind of true. No, they like, actually strengthen exactly. their position. They I guess get, we read the same piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like a very uh, it was it was a big so, discussion recently. So that was very, you know, relieving to me. We're like, well, I'm just going to write what the truth is because either people are going to believe it or they're not going to. And there's nothing that I will ever be able to do mm-hmm. that will make them believe it. Right. That's really but interesting. I'm still going to do it because they're not ever going to be able to say that they didn't have access to what the truth actually is. I saw that recently when you were posting. You kind of said that, yeah. like, it was the Mike Brown, the thing. Mike Brown piece. Yeah, uh, yeah. We, and I think that's again, you know, and I think that's what's so interesting is like what you're describing. As much as it's a political discussion, it's such mm-hmm. a creative discussion as well. Like, of how much <laughs> do we let our quote unquote audience or people that are gracing us with with their presence of what we're sharing like and i mean that totally honest like yeah. uh purposefully like i you know how much do we let them into the work that we do you know um i think we do but i just uh, to a certain extent but well, i think we have to let them in because right sure it's great to write for yourself but you can't write for yourself all the time right um but it is a balance though i think yeah. we, we, what you, you're you describing have to keep in mind like who your audience is and try right. to talk to the audience that doesn't mean completely disregard right you know and talk to them any kind of way because yeah you know, it's, not, it's not an abusive relationship <laughs> they're not going anywhere right like but right um you can't let them rule what you're going to write right you can use them to inform how you're going to write it but not what you're going to write because you need to write what you need to write that's why you're the one that's writing it and not somebody else. Right. That's great. Um, so I think we're we're almost out of time, but that was really right. great. Yeah. Any other thoughts before we... Um, no. Is there anything you want to plug? Should we plug something? Uh, I don't th- I don't particularly have anything to... I mean, it's Pesach's coming around, so like, <laughs> look up 
look up that Rishon Yehagada on Amazon. Oh, yeah, but, uh, right. Otherwise, I don't have... Uh, and your website's yeah. manishtana... Manishtana.net. .net. Okay. .net. Awesome. Follow me like, on Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Facebook.com slash manishtana, is that what it is? Slash manishtana. Awesome. All right. Excellent. Thank you so much. It was great. It's beautiful. Thank you for listening to HivriaCast. I'm Alad Harai. If you'd like to hear more and read more of our work, you can follow us by going to hevriah.com or facebook.com slash mag. We've been recording at the Kalal Studios in New York City. And the music that you're hearing is Voice Lessons by Darshan. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing and hearing from you again. Kal, kal ad kal yad.